Last week we started uh, 40 Days of Community Emphasis. We got rolling on this thing, and what we said was that uh, we need each other. That God saved us, but He didn't intend for us to kind of be out there on our own, uh, but instead He intended us to be in community. And when we come in community, some wonderful things happen. We encourage one another. We help carry one another's burdens, uh, share the load a little bit. We're able to multiply our ministry to make it more effective because we're not simply doing it alone. You remember uh, Ecclesiastes tells us two are better than one because they get a lot more for, their, for the labor that they do. And so there are lots of benefits to this. But one of the greatest benefits, one of the greatest benefits to coming together, being together, loving together, studying together, serving together, one of the greatest benefits is when the world looks at us, it'll be a testimony to the love and grace and power of God. That He is able to bring people who are so different, and in many ways we are, that are so different together, just shows how wonderful God is. This is not a testimony about how good we are at Grace Fellowship, but a testimony to how good our God is and what He can do. Now this morning... This morning, we want to take it a step further as we consider what that is reaching out together. We can reach out on our own, but, you know, it's a whole lot less scary and many times more effective when we're reaching out together. I remember how happy Doug and Shelley Hutchison, who are missionaries in India, I remember how happy they were when another couple came to be with them. It provided all those things that community is supposed to provide. And that we, as the family of God, and we in our grace groups, provide for one another. I mean it when I say we can be far more effective together than we can be separately. And with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would plant your word in our hearts. That you would motivate us and move us and inspire us and empower us and challenge us to reach out. But not just alone to reach out together to this world that you created, to this world that has fallen, to this world that is racked by sin, hopeless and helpless apart from your Son. Lord, would you motivate us and move us to encounter that world with the grace, the love, the power, and the truth that Jesus Christ is Savior. Lord, we ask that you speak to us today. We don't want this to be time wasted We don't want this to be time just spent getting our batteries charged. We want today to hear you and then in love for you to serve you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus neared the end of his life, his arrest, his crucifixion were very near. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. He prayed, understandably, for himself as he prepared to encounter not just the cross, but taking the weight of the world's sin on himself. So he prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciples, both those who were there and those who would believe because of their testimony. That means he prayed for us. Now, as part of his prayer, this is what Jesus prayed. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This is a portion of his prayer. He's praying for his disciples, but this one didn't have an expiration date. But you see... Jesus came on a mission, and that mission was to seek and to save what was lost. And we see all kinds of illustrations and examples and even stories that Jesus tells that helps us understand that he came to seek and to save what was lost. He came to people not only to call them to repentance, as John the Baptist had, but to call them to faith in him, 
that he was God's Messiah, God's Son sent to earth to redeem a broken, fallen world. He came because of love. But that love was no romantic love. That love was so big, so huge, that God sent his own son to die on a cross for you and me. That's a big, big, big love. Now we know that. We've experienced that love through Jesus Christ. So what is our mission? Our mission is to be witnesses. That's our mission. Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. He gave that to his disciples. His disciples passed it on to us. We are to be witnesses. How do I know this? I know this because Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now it's important to notice what Jesus did not say we were. He did not say we were judges. He did not say that we were to be the prosecuting attorney. I mean, that, that sounds fun, doesn't it? You get to be the one who points fingers at everybody and accuses them. That's not what he said we were to do. He, nor did he say we were to be the defense attorney. Instead, he said you're to be my witnesses. Now, now, what is a witness? A witness is one who can give a firsthand account to something seen, heard, or experienced. A witness is someone who can give a first-hand account, something that has happened to them or they themselves have experienced. And in the case of Christians, our witness is, this is what my life was like before Jesus. This is how I came to know Him as Savior. And this is what God's doing in my life right now because of my faith in Jesus Christ. It, you know, it's, it's not real complicated. It's not real confusing. You're sitting here and you're going, well, you know what? I'm a fairly new believer or I've been a believer for a while, but I've been disconnected from church or, you know, I just don't know a lot of scripture. I I don't have a lot of knowledge. I haven't been in a lot of Bible studies and I really feel ill-equipped to witness for Jesus Christ. But let's go back to what a witness is. A witness is very simply a person who has a first-hand experience. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what? That's you. You have a first-hand, up-close experience with God through Jesus Christ. You can say, this is what my life was like without Christ. I can say that as I look back on my, what my wife calls my first freshman year. When I went off to college and I had all the freedom and I had all the opportunities out there in front of me. And I blew it. And I blew it because I had no anchor. I had no sense of purpose, no sense of direction, no meaning in life. And then... On a quiet night in my apartment in Carborough, North Carolina, I knelt down on that orange shag carpet with my elbows on that green sofa. It was a beautiful image. But for me, it was an altar because it was there that God met me. God spoke to me and God called me. And I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I invited Him to be the, the, the Lord, the Savior of my life. And I agreed with Him that I would spend the rest of my life serving Him in ministry. That's my witness. That's my testimony. What did it take? Three minutes? You see, you've got a story. You've got a witness. God calls you to share that witness. Let me give you an example from Scripture. Jesus, it was on a Saturday, which was a Sabbath, and that was a Jewish day of rest and worship. So Jesus sees this man who has been, who's been blind from birth. 
and he heals him. Now, you would think that the religious leaders would be ecstatic over this thing. But they weren't. They were furious. They were absolutely mortified that someone would heal on the Sabbath. A day set aside for worship that God would interrupt it with a miracle. You know, there's still some people that get upset when God interrupts their Sabbath with his presence. And so they're all upset. And they actually bring this guy in and they give him the third degree. What happened? Tell me all the details. On and on and on. It was like an interrogation. But I want you to hear what this man says in response when he finally gets to the end of his rope. He says this. One thing I do know. I was blind. But now I see. Listen, I can't quote chapter and verse to you. I can't give you a bunch of scriptures about this thing. And to be quite honest, I don't have any idea where Jesus was born, what his mother's name was. But I know this. God met me today, and my life will never be the same. Our testimony, you see, is not about us. It's about the Father who sought us and bought us through the blood of His Son. I want to show a video clip to you right now. It's from the movie Finding Nemo. and You're wondering, what in the world has that got to do with anything? What I want you to listen to as you watch this video clip is how... The story of the Father's search is shared far and wide. I I live on this reef a long, long way from here. Oh, boy. This is going to be good, I can tell. And my son, Nemo, he was mad at me. And maybe he wouldn't have done it if I hadn't been so tough on him. I don't know. Anyway, he swam out in the open water to this boat, and when he was out there, these divers appeared, and I tried to stop them, but, but the boat was too fast, so we swam out in the ocean to follow We couldn't stop them! And then Nemo's dad, he swims out to the ocean, and they bump into the three, three ferocious sharks. sharks! He scares away the sharks by blowing them up! Golly, that's amazing! And then dives thousands of feet straight, straight down into the dock. It's like wicked dock down there. You can't see a thing. Let's go, Bob. And the only thing they can see down there is Imagine this big, horrible creature with razor sharp teeth. Nice panty, old man. And then he has to blast his way. Searching the ocean for days on the East Australian current. He may be on his way here right now. That just put him in Sydney Harbour in a matter of days. I mean, it sounds like this guy's gonna stop at nothing. Nothing till he finds his son. I sure hope he makes it. There's one dedicated father, if you ask me. fighting the entire ocean looking for you. My father? Really? Really? Oh, yeah. He's traveled hundreds of miles. He's been battling sharks and jellyfish, all sorts of... That can't be him. Are you sure? What was his name? Uh, Some sort of sport fish or something. Tuna? Uh, Trout? Marlin? That's it. Marlin, the little clownfish from the reef. It's my dad. He took on a shark. I heard he took on three. Three? Three? Three Three sharks? There's got to be 4,800 teeth. You see, kid, 
After you were taken by Diver Dan over there, your dad followed the boat you were on like a maniac. Really? He's swimming and he's swimming and he's giving it all he's got. And then three gigantic sharks capture him. And he blows him up. And then Dive starts to feed him. He gets chased by a monster with huge teeth. He ties this thing with a rock. Once he gets a reward, he gets to battle an entire jellyfish forest. I know some of you are disappointed when I don't watch the rest of the movie. What I wanted you to see was, here is a father who desperately sought his son. What you need to know is there's a father who's desperately seeking you, who would do anything to find you. And there's a thing in the church world where churches try to have uh, seeker services. In other words, they have services that are friendly to people who might be seeking God, but behind all that is a God who seeks us. God is the ultimate seeker. But you see how the story of this fish looking for his son spread throughout the ocean from creature to creature. What we need to know is that we've got a much greater story to tell about a very real God, not a cartoon figure who loved us so much and sought us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins so that we might be reconciled, brought back into relationship with him. The thing about it is, it is we, we who are to spread the story of the father's love. We who are to spread the story about his sacrifice, not just for us, but for the world. In Acts 1.8, we're said to, 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 to be witnesses. But there's kind of a pattern that's given. First of all, we're told that we're, we're to be witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be the people who are closest to you. That was, that was a city right there. They were kind of people kind of alike, and they lived pretty close together. And so, but for us, obviously we don't live in Jerusalem. We're not called necessarily to be missionaries to Jerusalem. We're called to be witnesses in our Jerusalem with the people who are closest to us. And then from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And that's going to be people who are kind of near to us and in in physical proximity to us, but we're not that close to or who are somewhat different than us. Judea was the surrounding area. It was a province in which Jerusalem was located. There'd be a lot of people who shared a lot of similarities within Judea. But then there was this place called Samaria, and that was kind of the badlands. That's where the people who kind of had a distorted view of God lived, and they weren't like us, and so reaching them would be a real challenge. But they were still close. They were near. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually went into Samaria. That's how close they were, butting right up against each other. Judea and Samaria for us are people who are near to us, but may be different. We may not have that connection with them. And then to the ends of the earth. And, you know, quite simply, that's everybody else. Here's the mission. To those who are closest to us, to those who are near us but perhaps different from us, and to everybody else. Now, i got to tell you, you may be intimidated when you hear that mission. It's tough enough to share your witness with people that you know and who like you. But sharing it with complete strangers, that's kind of a frightening thing. But, you know... Number one, it's easier when we do it together. And number two, I want you to get this. If you doze off the rest of the message, get this. You are a follower of Jesus today because someone took Jesus' mission seriously.
Think about it. It may have been a pastor. It may have been a vacation Bible school teacher. It may have been a Sunday school teacher. It may have been someone you met on an airplane. It may have been someone in a small group. It may have been a good friend. It may have been a parent or grandparent. It may have been your child. But someone took the mission of Jesus seriously. And because of that, you are a follower today. I thank God for the people who are faithful with their witness. And I pray that there will be people who can look to you and to me and say, I have home in heaven. When when I die, I'll fly away to heaven because you were faithful to give a witness when the opportunity arose. And we don't do it alone. We do it together. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is reaching out together and what that means. So first of all, reaching out together means that we share with those in our own world, our, our Jerusalem. When Jesus was out ministering, uh, traveling by boat a lot of places, landing on shore, and uh, there was a cemetery close by, and living in the cemetery was a wild man. He was wild because he was filled with many demons, and it had driven him stark raving mad, and the people were scared to death of him. And I can't imagine what his parents and what his wife and what his children, what his relatives thought as these demons took a hold of him and literally drove him out away, living in a cemetery, living in a tomb. But nobody would have anything to do with him. Jesus shows up and he delivers this man. He casts out those demons and he restores him. And the man, out of gratitude, said, listen, I'm going to follow you. If you don't mind, I've been living like this, but you've saved me from all this, and I want to now follow you. I want to go with you. I want to get back in that boat and go where you're going. And this is what Jesus said to him. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. Go back to your Jerusalem. Go back to the people who are closest to you. And share the testimony because what has happened to you, I need to tell you, it needs to happen to them. They were, you were spiritually dead. I've made you alive. I've delivered you. I've saved you. Go back and tell people how good God is, that He's real, and He wants to do something in their lives too. Go be a witness. Give a firsthand testimony to what's happened in your life. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, all this, that is the newness of life that we have, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, that's a big word. To reconcile basically means to balance an account or to restore a friendship. That's exactly what God did on both counts. He balanced the account. That is, you and I, because of sin in our lives, we owed a debt that was too much for us to pay. The wages of sin is death, separation from God for all eternity. That was our fate. God sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the price for our sins, to balance the books. But more than that, or at least in conjunction with that, sin had broken our fellowship and friendship with God. What Jesus did fixed what was broken and restored us 
to be friends of God and even more to be sons and daughters of God. Jesus came reconciling us to the Father and has given to you and me the message, the ministry of reconciliation. That we're to go out and say, this is what God's up to. And I can prove it because of what He's done in my life. Now, being witnesses, you go, okay, how does my grace group tie into that? If I'm to be witnesses in my close circle, how does my grace group fit in? Do I bring in like a pinch hitter? You know, grab somebody from my group to go tell my mom or dad or to go tell my brother or sister or go tell my coworker. Do I bring somebody in to, to witness in my stead? Is this like a tag team thing? I used to watch wrestling when I was a kid. Chief Wahoo McDaniel, Black Jack Mulligan. This is when Ric Flair was young. Okay, but they'd have these tag teams, and they'd tag each other in. Is that, is that what we're talking about? We kind of tag team with our group? Not exactly. It's going to be hard for somebody outside. You see, God is giving you those close relationships for a reason. It's going to be, it's going to be a challenge for you. But God's put you there, and he wants to use you there. And so what, what does your grace group do? Here, here's what I've encouraged our grace group to do, and I'd encourage all grace groups to consider doing the very same thing, and that is to give the name of someone who's in your close circle that the group can pray for, someone who doesn't know Jesus, that they can come alongside. You say, well, what good is that? I want them there to, to, to witness in my stead. Tag team, come on in. We underestimate the value and the power of prayer. And for you to have... 8, 10, 12, 15, one group, 25 people, for you to have that many people praying for your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your coworker or a fellow student to be praying for those people. Can you imagine the power of heaven that will be unleashed, the hearts that would be melted and the opportunities that will be presented for you to share Christ with that person you love? We have a responsibility to our Jerusalem, but we don't bear that responsibility alone. Bring your group in. Say, here's this person. Would you, would you agree to pray with me that God's going to open doors for me to share my faith with them? Well, reaching out together means that we, we share with those who are closest to us. It also means that we dare to reach beyond our comfort zone. Some of us have a real challenge with this, I know. Judea and Samaria for them meant the people who were kind of close to them. Some shared similarities, some didn't share similarities, but it's still a little tougher to get outside that realm, that circle of close friends, dealing with people who may be more acquaintances or people that you work with but you never really build a relationship with or maybe it's people in your neighborhood or, or people that you go to school with but you're not really friends with them. It might be people that you see at the gym or you see at the tanning salon. I've never seen any friends at the tanning salon and I've never been to one. But anyway, if you go, you probably know people there. Might be on a golf course. Might be at the grocery store. Just people in your community. It's a little outside your comfort zone. It's a little bit of a, a challenge. How do we reach those people? Well, I'll give you a piece of advice from Scripture. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, To the weak I became weak to win the weak. Look at this. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means... I might save some. We have to find a way to connect with people, a way to build bridges. And the good news is that many of those bridges are already there. Example, you like golf. Use it. 
Don't just see golf as a means to go out and relax. See golf as a means to connect and build bridges with someone who doesn't know Jesus but who loves golf just like you. And you can talk golf. And it's, I, I, I've told this story before. Some of you may have heard it. Um, I was in seminary, and a friend of mine and I from church went to a golf course. Uh, we were going to play with just two of us, and it was kind of busy, so they were going to team us up with this other guy. And so there was this guy out there. I don't know. He was, I guess, in his 60s or 70s. He was getting ready, and, and of course, he was going to beat us because we just knew it because we could hit the ball a long way. But when it's in the woods, it doesn't matter how far you hit it. But so we just knew this guy was just going to dink it right down the middle, and he did. But anyway, so we got ready, and, and uh, we walked over, and bef- as he was getting ready, he unzipped his bag, and all these gospel tracks fell out. And uh, I said, okay, this, this ought to be good, because somewhere on the course, this guy is going to witness to us. And so uh, I, we just kind of played it cool, just to see what would happen. And to be sure, we got away from the clubhouse far enough that the guy started talking to us about his relationship with Christ. Now, that was pretty cool for us, so we were able to share, and, and it, was kind of, it, became, it became a you know, something that was, it was fun to do. Got a lot of laughs out of it because we, we told him we'd seen him with the tracks earlier. But, you know, it's not fun in games. Golf can be a place where you're out riding in a cart or walking along a fairway with someone, and you don't have to pull out a 20-pound King James Bible and start witnessing to them. All you have to do is say, hey, listen, you know, I used to think golf was everything. It was the biggest deal for me, and I'd, I'd move heaven and earth to get on the golf course. But i got to tell you, I came to find out in my life that there's something more important than this game, something more important even than my family, and that's my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Would you mind if I share a little bit about my story? You know what they may say? Uh-uh, no, I don't want to hear it. That's okay. You've been faithful. But if you're praying for opportunities, guess what God's going to do? He's going to start opening up doors. And you may strike out once. You may strike out twice. You may strike out three times. But somebody's going to say, you know what? I've been really struggling with this. Would you tell me your story? If it's golf, that's great. Maybe you like to go out and eat. You can do that. You can use that. Invite somebody to come over to eat at your house or go out and eat with them. Whatever it is that you can do to find those bridges that are already built or to build those bridges to where people are. Use that. Now, I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm going to give you a suggestion that we're using during the 40 Days of Community that also is a great way to build a bridge to where people are, and that is to serve them, to meet their needs out of l- your love for God. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, we're, we hear that God's people are to loose the chains of injustice to untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. In other words, there are people in desperate need and our call is to be where they are, to set them free. James would add this to it. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, there is a mission that we have that is not only to hole up somewhere and make sure we are holy, but to get out there and to meet in the name of Jesus to show a tangible expression of God's love in their lives by serving other people. Now, how can your grace group come along with this? Well, there are many ways. Again, if you like golf, maybe you and a, and a buddy 
can uh, invite another person or two to go play golf with you who don't know Jesus. No pressure, no intimidation. You don't have to, you know, do an arm drag takedown or fly an elbow drop on them. You're flashing back to wrestling again, sorry. But just gently checking to see if the doors are open and maybe even sharing your witness. I, I've heard of one, one couple of guys that did this. What they would do is that when they stopped somewhere and had a little break, maybe they were waiting on a group ahead of them, one guy would share his story, not with the two people that they had invited to play, but with his buddy. Hey, have I ever told you about the time that, <laughs> that I, was, I, was, I was really down and out and, 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 and then someone came and told me about Jesus? And just kind of, those people are overhearing the story. You know, they're just listening to it. God can use all kinds of ways to do it. What I'm saying is when there's a bridge that can be built or a bridge that already exists, use that bridge. It may be, it may be golf. It may be NASCAR. Some of you are NASCAR fans. Having some people over to your house. During the commercials, hit the mute. Just talk to them about things that really matter. Going out to eat or inviting people over to your house or going to a movie with somebody and then stopping uh, for a... Uh, you know, a blizzard or something afterwards to sit down and to, to chat about things that are important. In other words, use those common interests. You can do that together as, as part of your group. And during this 40 days of community, we're calling you to serve together. I, I received some information this week that many of the groups have already found projects that they're going to do, missions projects, where they're going to express the intangible ways, the love of God in this community. And I'm excited about that, and I look forward to our group adopting a project as well. This is something we can do together. Now, I've got to tell you, when you do it together, it makes it a lot more fun. Whether it's uh, preparing meals to bring them for a fellowship of Christian athletes, sing, or collecting paper goods to, to take over to uh, the uh, abused women's shelter, or, or going together to a nursing home to, to, to sing and to, well, some of you can't sing, but uh, to, to just be with them and to sit down and talk with them and hold their hands. Some of these things can be really, really good. And I want to encourage you, a group, to say, hey, what is, what's God's heartbeat for us? What is God calling us to do to get out there and to serve together? Because when you do, people are going to want to know, hey, what's up with you? Why are you here showing these tangible expressions of love? What's going on? And that opens the door for you to share and to be a witness about what God's done in your life and what God wants to do in theirs. You can reach out together. Now, reaching out together is also this, that we care about the whole world. We used to live in a relatively small world. It's not small anymore. Just about anything that happens in the world, we can find out on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, the Internet. 24 hours a day, we're bombarded with what's happening around the world. It's a little maybe less intimidating for us now. The mystery's gone. I can't imagine when Jesus told His disciples that they were to go into all the world how much they must have swallowed at that point because it was just such a big deal. But for us, we recognize, you know, we're able to get on a plane and go to Nicaragua or to Zambia or the Dominican Republic. We're able to get on and go somewhere. We understand how big the world is. But do we understand that we have a global mission? Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. That's our responsibility, and it's a huge thing. But we're to be on a global mission. Not just our Jerusalem, not just our Judea, Samaria, but the ends of the earth. People around the world need to know what you've discovered, who Jesus is and the difference He makes in your life. They need to know that. And guess what God's plan is for telling them? You and me. There's not a plan B. That's our responsibility. It's not just for a pastor. It's not just for a missionary. It is for us. 
And what we're to tell people, it's not that complex. Did God love them so much that he gave his one and only son? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the same truth that penetrated our hearts and changed us. You see, the power is not in our persuasiveness. and The power is not in our personality. The power is in the truth of God and the power of God to do what we can't do. We don't save anybody. But we can be the conduits of God's grace. We can be the person who connects with them and shares with them the good news. Now, you can sign up to go on a mission trip, go on your own, do solo thing. You can do that. But how can your grace group come alongside you as together we embrace this global mission? Well, obviously, one of the things is some members of your group may decide we want to together go and do missions. We've got some people who've been together for a while who who go up to Weir's Valley and they serve together. And they say it is so much fun. Now, you see they're out in the sun. They're hammering nails. They're toting lumber. They're sawing stuff. They're painting. And you go, well, that doesn't look like a lot of fun to me. But when you serve together in Jesus' name, there's a lot of fun in that. A lot of work in it, but there's a lot of fun. If any of you have been on missions teams, you know what I'm talking about. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. One of the things that Nancy and I and my kids have missed over the last couple of years is getting out and going, going to Zambia, going to, going to Africa. It just hadn't fit. We missed that. We want to do that. Let me tell you what happened. Uh, it was last summer, being the spiritual leader of the family uh, for vacation. I wanted to go to the beach. I just I love the ocean. I wanted to go to the beach. And so we made these plans to go to the beach. And Nancy asked Jackie and Jay, well, what would you guys like to do with your vacation this summer? They said, go to Africa. Wait a minute. I'm giving you the beach. You don't have to do a thing. You go out and you lay out in the sun. You play in the ocean. We go play golf. We eat seafood. What could be better than that? Going to Africa. See, even within the family, you find that the the joy that can come in serving together in Jesus' name and doing something that you know is going to have an eternal impact. There are other ways to do it. You say, hey, listen, financially, I I just can't do that. I can't get away from my kids. I I can't do that. How else can you as a group then support this global mission? Well, obviously, one of the things you can do, and a big thing you can do, is to find a missionary or an unreached people group. And we as a church have adopted the Rajputs in northern India. And just as you come together each week, pray. Pray for that missionary. Pray for that unreached people. Join yourselves to pray and commit yourselves to pray for that need. Other things you can do may be financial. Again, you may not have $100, $1,000 to kick, you know, to, to do something, but, but maybe, you, maybe you have a few bucks. You team up together and say, okay, this is what we'd like to do, and we'd like to be able to provide this. Maybe it's, it's doing a, some type of fundraising thing for, for a missions cause. You know, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Hey, we're going we're gonna to do this. Or, or we're going to come together and, and each time we meet, we're going to put a dollar in the jar. And then together we'll take that money and, and you know, give it to, to uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering at the end of the year. That's, that's a way that as a group. What I'm saying is doing it together makes it a lot more fun and a lot easier and oftentimes a lot more effective. And so we share that global mission. And we're not necessarily to fly solo. Another thing you might want to do as a group is to communicate with the missionary. Find out what's going on. To be able to share those stories as you come together. If you're kind of techno-savvy, you can even do like a Skype phone call. And as a group, talk to the missionary. Can you imagine how it will encourage that missionary? Not only to hear from you, but to be able to talk to you. So that you can say, hey, tell us what's going on. Tell us your challenges. Tell us your joys over there. 
How can we pray for you? You see, we can do this together. And God calls us to do it together. To share in the mission. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And when he ascended into heaven, he gave that mission to his disciples. And it was passed on to us. But he not only gives us a mission, he gives us his power. He gives us his presence. He gives us brothers and sisters to do it with. We're in this together. We are to witness. And our testimony is to be the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. We're to do it in our words. And we're to do it in our lifestyle.